we sixes do not have to have the answer to every scenario mm-hmm. as much as we want to. Yeah, that, that, that was false information. <laughs> Enneagram podcast, where we talk about the Enneagram in the context of work. I'm your host, Kelsey Taylor, and today on the show, we have two Enneagram type sixes joining that I cannot wait to introduce you to. So without further ado, allow me to introduce first James Whitmire, who is the manager for Weber's Gun Range. James, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Our second guest is Brooke Fox, who is a nursery nurse at Seton Medical Hospital. Brooke, thank you so much for taking a break from helping to deliver babies so that you could be here today. Thank you for having me. James, I'm going to turn it over to you. I want you to tell me a little bit about what being a manager for Weber's Gun Range is. What is Weber's? What is it that you do? So Weber's is a family-owned local business uh, supporting firearms and the industry for recreation. So my job as a as a overall is basically overseeing majority of everything so employees and customers events one would think that just working at a gun range or just watching people shoot and that i don't we oversee safety for that but (laughs) mainly it's just about making sure that all the working components of the industry that we're associated with is, is working smoothly. How long have you been in the job? What do you like best about being a manager? So I came from the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. So I basically just transferred that energy into recreation for the gun range. So I've been there for about eight years and I think still the people. Who, and you don't have to list names, but who comes to mind as your top three favorite customers? It's tough. You know, firearms bring a personal, like, poke your chest out kind of thing. So (laughs) I I don't, to be honest on there, I'm not a gun enthusiast. So I'm not a firearms enthusiast. Once again, it's just about experience. But for customers, I think once again, it's just loyalty, seeing the people that come in. And we do have a group of gentlemen that come in and shoot clays. And and, uh, I just think the experience with them is the best because they give feedback. They're older. They're a different generation. And so they like that I can give them feedback. So I get to talk to them about life lessons and I get to learn from them about everything. So they don't just come in and shoot. They come in to converse and come in and have an experience. And so I think that's that's the best part. It's not lost on me that descriptive adjective you chose was loyalty yeah. as a six. Like that makes <laughs> yeah. total sense to me. Yeah, they come in, they complain about everything and like, we'll see you tomorrow. And like, <laughs> but we just completely ruined your experience. They're like, we'll be back. I'm like, get it right. You know, the old guys. And I'm like, we'll, we'll work. We're going to work on it. All right, Brooke, for you, what is it that your job typically entails as a nursery nurse and how long have you been at Seton? So I have been at Seton um, only since November of 2021, Um, but I've been a nurse for four years and the nursery nurse is, in my opinion, like the coolest nurse. We have the coolest job, I should say. I am the one that is like next to the provider during a labor and delivery experience and I wait for the baby to be born. And at that point in time, then that provider hands the baby over to me and I get to be the one to help the baby transition to extra uterine life, which is 
literally my dream. Like if you know me at all, it is my dream to watch a baby come into this world and then help a mom and a dad become a mom and a dad. It's the coolest thing. I'm stuck on the fact that you said extra uterine lines. Yeah. And like now I'm trying to figure out how can I implement that into my verbiage with people. Any, anything. You're like, hey, in my extra uterine life, like that's your life. What would you say that you enjoy the most mm. about that role? Oh, a lot of things. But I think the thing that comes to my mind the most is whenever you see a dad become a dad, it is the coolest thing to watch a dad become protective of his partner and become protective of his kid. And, and I love to give responsibility to the dad. Cause I think too, like in labor and delivery, a lot of times dads feel kind of helpless. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, she's doing this thing. And like, what do I do here? And, And I love to include Hey, can you hold this? Can you do this? And and watching them take ownership of their family is just yeah. it's that's one of my favorite. Just add something. Please. So I went to school for psychology as well. One of my classes was mating behavior, and it was just about why we do what we do. But uh, I would say a hundred percent, maybe I'm off by one is that there's paternal uncertainty mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. it just is. And so for you to integrate that, mm-hmm. to like build comfort and involvement, well, I think that's great that yeah. you do that. Yeah. Oh, truly. All right, James, how do you know that you're an Enneagram six? Obviously the literature, you know, you, you link up all of these categories and it is a great experience for me because you spend your whole life looking for God and looking for counselors and looking for these things about why you do what you do. And, you know, am I normal? Is this normal? And and he doesn't suffer from this or she doesn't respond like this. I just knew because the comfort of when I read everything, some people were like, that's not me. You know, you read your name on a coffee mug on a vacation. You're like, that's not me. Yeah. Or what a horoscope would sound like. Like you, you try and think that you can link to what the verbiage is, but with the Enneagram, I'm like, there is no wing in that. <laughs> I'm a hundo. Rick, how about you? How do you just know that you're a type six? Well, I took a test way back in the day, whenever it kind of came to our parts of the world. And same thing, Jonah, my then fiance now husband was like, you got to do this. I'm learning about this at work. And I was like, okay, I don't put me in a box. And I took the test and then they told me I was a six and I was like, what is a six? And I read about it and I was like, mm, I'm way more fun than that. So no. <laughs> let me tell you the moment I knew was whenever I listened to sleeping at last, they, they have the Enneagram numbers songs. And I listened to the Enneagram song for the six. And I was like weeping by the end of the song because I was just like, Oh my gosh, they just sang literally my entire heart. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a link to that in mm-hmm. the show notes because it's so good. Mm-hmm. The songs are written by an artist called Ryan O'Neill, who's a type nine and which I love that we have this nine who's gifted with different perspectives Mm -hmm. that takes on this project of let me write a song for each Mm -hmm. Enneagram type with the idea of capturing the very best of them, Mm -hmm. uh, the redeeming song for them. So yes, I will link in the show notes for those of you listening, because it is so worth it to hear your song. If you get the chance to, and you have time to listen to his making of the songs. And I would say if you are married or with someone, listen to their number song too. Yes. Because for me, the song was just very monumental and like figuring out, oh, I'm a six. And then to listen to my husband's number, which is a three, it just, again, like I just got really emotional of like, oh, I love you. And I'm yes. sorry that you felt this way. <laughs> Truly. James, for you, 
let's assume that somebody listening is trying to figure out that they're a six or maybe they work with the six, but they don't really understand this core desire to feel supported, to feel loyal, committed to a group, to feel safe, to feel secure. I think we all on a certain level desire that, but for sixes, that's their core desire. So how would you describe that to somebody who may not be familiar with the Enneagram? So a lot of times our gut instinct is, I need more information. It's Mm -hmm. a comfort. I always tell my family and my boys that competence builds confidence. Mm -hmm. And so the more comfortable we are is because of more information that we have. What would you add to that? Yeah, I think there's anxiety and and hesitation. But guess what? I'm not just looking to keep myself safe. I'm looking to keep all of us safe. And I think that one of the coolest things that God has given me the ability to analyze every scenario and say, safe, safe, not safe. Don't go there. Go here. But whenever I'm able to explain, Hey, this is for all of us, the the greater good Mm -hmm. um, for all of us, then I think that it's received well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that at the heart of the sixes too, it is not just about me. It is Mm -hmm. truly, it's a group. Like, Mm -hmm. are we all safe? Right. I'm looking out for everybody here. Okay. James, for you, how do you see this core desire to keep the group safe um, play out as a manager in Weber's? Because that is a job. I wouldn't naturally think that sixes are like, yes, put me in in this environment. Mm -hmm. But when I think about it, I'm like, that makes total sense. If I want anybody in that environment, it's actually going to be a six. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, to go back earlier, you're like, what do you love most about your job? I love the grouping. I love the hurting. I love being the border collie. So I know, and I know as a six, our health zone is a nine, which is a peacemaker mm-hmm. and that I go back and forth and I'm the one that's always come kind of molding and creating systems to help the employees come together. That is what I probably love the most about the job. And I get a lot of young guys. So teaching them about life or, you know, structure and going, what's the next step look like for them. And, and so it's great. Brooke, for you, it makes, again, perfect sense for a type six to be the one that is right next to the doctor that's delivering this baby, because you know, the threats you've already thought through worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. And as a mom that's delivering a baby, there's something that's so peaceful to know, like there's a type six right there in the room. So (laughs) how do you see that play out in your role? Yeah. So, I mean, there in hospitals, there's policies and protocols. In my role, I have been able to be a part of helping write some of those policies and protocols. And it's a lot of work. But now, you know, for every delivery, you're going to make sure that you have the oxygen, the right kind of tubing, every little thing that you can think of that could potentially go awry in a delivery, we're now set up for. And at every delivery, because I have total faith in, in labor and delivery. Like I, the process of birth is just the coolest thing in the world. However, we're going to be prepared. Right. And we're going to make sure that this mom and this baby and this family, they're going to be taken care of. Okay. So let's talk about the fear, uh, core fear of the type six, which it's hard to really just capture it in a couple of words, but we describe that as um, this fear, a feeling fear itself, Mm -hmm. um, this fear of being cut off or without support, this fear of being threatened, Mm -hmm. um, this fear of being unprepared. So James, how would you say that that fear presents itself in your job? I think my fear is always not being prepared mm-hmm. and mainly it's just about people not taking the proper steps. Like, you know, like Brooke said, just not that I've already thought about the things that you don't think about. And that's a joy 
when you give a six a task and you check in five days later, but you don't see progress, don't think the work hasn't already been done. Mm-hmm. So we prepare, we think. And when you talk about the how does fear present itself, it's just a matter of trying to rally everybody or relay information to people that we've thought about the end result. And if you are a fan of the Avengers, Dr. Strange said there's only one one possibility. Right. I've already analyzed everything that comes into this. But I also understand that that's draining and it's exhausting. And I just now recently learned that right now I'm reading, getting, get out of your head. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I, it's a lot of negative thoughts because I feel like the only way to get to the positive is to run through all the negative. Mm-hmm. And that presents itself in every single thing. And, and to go back, I'm not always on the gun range, but I think every little thing, when I go down there, when I see people, when we're... Uh, and, and it's a high risk location. So it's probably not good for a six in certain situations because no one would be having fun. <laughs> and I have to really take a step back for people to have fun. Totally. So I'm like, shouldn't we just put rubber bullets in everything? Like, <laughs> uh, everyone gets a slingshot, you know, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and, and it's tough because that fear of something going wrong is, is always there. <laughs> Has there been a situation at the gun range that you were not prepared for? And if so, tell me about it. And then what happened? I wasn't prepared. It says no. (laughs) I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We can't anticipate things. We can anticipate things going wrong, but you can't stop things from going wrong. Right. So I had my son, he had an appointment. And so I wasn't actually scheduled to work, but I still needed to check on things. So I drive down range, my son's in the car. And so I'm just saying hi to everybody, you know, doing what sixes do, you know, we, we can wing seven and have fun. And so I'm just checking. And instantly when I get there, a customer had a malfunction with their pistol. And so I want to be the one because I feel like it, this is something's wrong. He comes to me, there's a live round in it. So I'm like, I can take care of the situation. I'm thinking about everything. And I went to clear the pistol. It was jammed in there, the live round. And my hand was on top of the pistol. And when I cleared it, the slide comes back. The bullet comes back. There was a malfunction in the gun where the ejection port hit the primer. And so the casing explodes up through the top of the pistol at the ejection port. So bullet did not hit me. All the explosion and the bullet casing exploded and came and went through my hand. So at that moment, it's funny. I just tucked my hand behind. My hand is instantly numb. I don't even know the situation, how bad it is. And I look at the customer. I'm like, hey, your pistol's all done. Thank you for coming out and you can continue to shoot. And I look and instantly it's crazy because I'm thinking in the back of my head, I'm fully mentally functioning. Mm -hmm of me, but in the front of my head, I'm just taking care of everything. I say, Hey, I need you to go make sure this customer's good. I need you to stay on the range. I need to go to the hospital. I'm going to get in the car. Don't forget you're closing tonight. And they're looking at me just white. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, I need to analyze my hand. So Mm -hmm. I look at my hand and it's just destroyed. And I'm like, did it go through? And I turned my hand over. It didn't go through. It's just my hand took the the blunt of it. I'm like, okay, probably stitches. I'm thinking surgery. I'm, I'm like doing all these things and everyone's just standing still. And I'm like, Oh, but I'm calm. Mm-hmm. I'm good. And probably the best part of the whole story is my then I think nine or 10 year old Liam. 
I get in the car and he looks at my hand and he goes, my legs don't feel good. No. And so I'm like, dude, we're good. So now I'm the one, but I'm calming him down. I'm like, right. We're good. Yeah. And I'm telling him the plan. This is what's going to happen. We're going to be great. So you know, calm him down. At what point do you feel like you have space to kind of feel? Is there, does that even happen at all? Like, do you wait until later till you have like alone time or is it just that is, that's how I experienced the trauma. No, so for me, whether it's that or anything else, uh, I call it like the hospital moment. Mm-hmm. It's when you have everything and you see it in movies, you're, you're all under control and, and you probably see it broke with, with families that we can hold it together. But the moment that we trust mm-hmm. the person that finally shows up to relinquish that, and that's Rachel for me, mm-hmm. I don't, it's no one else. So the moment, like, and I'm going to, it's going to hit me right now. The moment that she shows up, mm-hmm. she's got me. Mm-hmm. So that's when I know that I can relinquish everything that I have. And I do, I turn into the, the mushiest, you know, I got the cough and she's, you know, she's tough. <laughs> and, but that's when I know that I can relinquish control. And I got some buddies that do the same thing, but it, for us, it's about trust. And if not, it'll never go away. We always got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brooke, you're on the hot seat now. So how do you see this fear, feeling fear, feeling of being unprepared, feeling of being not supported? How does that present itself as a nursery nurse? I go to work and it's never going to be the same. I'm never going to see the same patients. I'm never going to experience the same delivery. It's always going to be different. Mm-hmm. So you have to be, you know, across the board prepared. And there is a whole team that brings a child into this world safely. Hospitals are hard. People are difficult. And, and I'm trying, I'm not dancing around anything other than I want to be respectful of hospitals and the teams, mm-hmm. but there is a hard place to work. Um, mm-hmm. you, there's so many people, so many fears and personalities that come into play in a hospital. And so absolutely every day I, I'm analyzing, can I trust you mm-hmm. as a provider? Mm-hmm. Can I trust you as a family? Can I trust you as my charge nurse? Can I trust you as my manager? And it's an uphill battle. Like I really do have to work and humble myself. One, to remind myself, not everyone in this world is a believer, right? And right. and to have grace and understanding and patience for people who don't see the world in the same way that I do. And also <laughs> to just know that you know, you're my manager for a reason. You're my charge nurse for a reason. You've done the work before me and I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I like to think that I do, <laughs> but I don't. So I really do. I really do have to humble myself on a daily basis and hourly basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is 12 hours of, can I trust you? Okay. Yes. Can I trust you? Uh, no. And then that kind of shakes me and I have to learn to work through that. There's a couple things that I want to touch on here that I just love that you shared. One, I think it's important for others to know with type sixes that trust resets every day. Mm-hmm. It is an everyday thing. And so for for a one like me, um, if I work with the six and I show support one day, I think I have that support and trust for maybe like a month, two months. 
And so I think sometimes if somebody's looking at working with the six, like I do, it's helpful to realize like, no, you have trust in that moment, but you have to show up again tomorrow Mm -hmm. and that matters. And so I don't want people to look at sixes and be like, well, they should, they should just trust me. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there can be some tension there. So what advice, and I'm I'm asking both of you guys, what Mm -hmm. advice would you give to the person who's like, I don't understand why I have to prove myself every day, why one moment doesn't last. Uh, What would you say for that? I think for me, those moments do count every day. Um, I'm going to remember your loyalty to me because it it matters so much. Mm -hmm. However, I value that loyalty so intensely. Please don't betray that. And please don't, please don't leave me. It's kind of like this inner like child inside of me. Like, please don't leave me. So I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, prove yourself to me every single day. Mm -hmm. But if you've proven yourself to me, then I believe in you. And Mm -hmm. so come back and show up and do the work to be in this friendship or be in this, this work relationship or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we have emotional amnesia. So every day mm-hmm. it, it, it won't stop. You know, I, I will reach out to people just to, you know, hear their love or affection. But when it comes to a work environment, I love meetings. I love communication. I love like, do we have a plan? And if you deviated from that plan without communication, we're done. I don't trust you. Yep. Okay. So with sixes, there are times when you can tell that your motivation is coming from a really healthy place. Like you understand that you're motivated and your security really is is found in the Lord. And when that overflows, we get the very best of the six. On the flip side of that, like there's the shadow side for every Enneagram type. The, the worst parts of us are also the best parts of us. Um, how can you tell if the decisions that you're making are coming from a place of health or a place of unhealth? Competition. So uh, contrary to everyone at this, I apologize. <laughs> Men's retreats. Uh, I, I told Rachel this and it, it, it just floored her. I said, I hate competition. Mm-hmm. I really do. But I'm a competitor. It's all because of my fear that people don't like me or they're going to take advantage of me. Mm-hmm. So I will rise to the occasion. And I don't know, you've probably seen and maybe you've done it before where you're so mad you're crying. Yes. That's a six in stress. Yeah. And we turn into competition and we, we really dive into that three where we have to achieve and look at me and, and I do these things. And that's when I know, that's when I know that I'm not using God in my life mm-hmm. because I got, I'm in control. I've got this mm-hmm. because I've been hurt. I'm never going to get hurt again. It's sad because I fear abandonment, but I abandon God all the time. I'm now more aware that when competition or when I have a deadline, it, it, it becomes unhealthy. Mm. Brooke, how about you? How can you tell when your motivations are mm. out of whack? Well, I didn't know until uh, James just said all those things. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, on the competition side, one time, I don't know if you remember this, Kelsey, I, I lost a game, a board game at Ben and Kelsey's house and I flipped the board game. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> Hundred. I've never done that before. And then I'm like a guest at someone else's house and I flipped a board game and I'm literally standing there looking at these marbles all over the floor. And I'm like, I did not just do that. (laughs) So I know that I'm really unhealthy whenever I'm just trying to be spiteful or like, well, I told you so. It's just, you know, you should have listened to me or you should have confided in me. And the first time, you know, like you just, you messed up. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But whenever I want to be right and I know that I, you know, air quotes, I know that I'm right. I'm very unhealthy. 
very. Yeah. So outside perspective, why do we get spiteful? I lose, I'm full of empathy, but yeah. I lose empathy when I, man, the, I told you so mm-hmm. I can do it in silence. Mm-hmm. And yes. she's like, I heard you. And I know what you're thinking. I know. And it's it's bad, but why? You know, yeah. it's, it's not like it's a competition and it's not an abandonment or maybe, I don't know, maybe it is an I abandonment. It comes but. back to that trust mm-hmm. for sixes. It's one, usually when we feel that empathy kind of leave or we feel frustrated, it is because we have a, a certain way that we view the world. And when other people don't view it the same way, there's friction. And so as a woman, I view the world as a place where there are imperfections that need to be fixed. As a six, you view the world as a place that is not safe. So you must prepare to live in it. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from it, but you have to prepare mm-hmm. yourself for it. And so when you're preparing, that requires, like you said, so much analysis. You mm-hmm. take so much time to plan to come to a confident place. And even sometimes when you come to a confident decision, decision, there's this, there's this underlying fear of like, is there one more book I should have read? Is there one more article I should have read? Is there one more person I should have asked? Is there another perspective I'm not considering? You're Mm -hmm. constantly thinking like, did I gather enough information that takes so much time that most other people don't do? And so when you can see that's the gift of the six, I can see what could likely happen here and somebody else does not take the care or the intentionality to do that same kind of research, there's some frustration of like, well, you did this to yourself. <laughs> like I told you. Yeah. Okay. Last question for the uh, type sixes out there that are listening. What advice would you give for them in, in a work setting where they feel like maybe they're afraid? I think for sixes, oftentimes it's this fear of I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. I hear it over and over and over again. No other number seems to be as fearful of losing their job on a regular basis as the type six. And it, man, it breaks my heart for the six out there that is struggling with this fear or anxiety in general, what advice would you give them? If you're going to know that you're a six, that means you know the Enneagram. And I would definitely first try and get everyone around you to take the test. Know what you're working with. Then you can start knowing where to direct some more emotion or fears or you know where to go to when you're feeling that way. Some of the best people in my life are the people that I completely disagree with, but I find solace in their conversations because I know they can't hurt me. But I disagree with them and I'm able to just jab at them and jab at them. But I know that they are, they can take it. Mm-hmm. And I, at work, when you go to jab at the wrong person, then you do feel bad. Brett, for you, what advice would you give to type sixes listening? Oh, my initial answer is like the ice princess of Arendelle <laughs> from Frozen. Let it go. Because I think um, kind of going off what James said, other people in our lives have valuable desires and they have valuable wisdom. We do not have, to, we sixes do not have to have the answer to every scenario mm-hmm. as much as we want to. Yeah, that, that, that was false information. <laughs> as much as we want to have the answers and, and we have good intentions, let it go. Cause you know what? My three husband, he's smart. And sometimes he has the best idea and I'm like, what? How did you come up with that? (laughs) Our core desire is to feel supported and loved. And so find your solid rock. Truly, truly, I could not have made it through my life without Jesus Christ. Like that sounds so sort of way, but it is so true. Mm -hmm. Whenever I feel like the world is falling apart, 
the only way I have survived is to know my solid rock, my foundation is Jesus. And so the, I think the popular thing about Enneagram is that it is a very helpful tool. And I think without the context of applying it to Christianity, people can look at it like it is a God to, that will fix them, that will save them, that will help them. Yeah. And that's not at all the heart behind the way I want to teach it. I think it is a helpful tool that reminds us that we are broken, mm-hmm. that we have these core fears, that we have these core weaknesses. And at the end of the day, um, when things are broken, you go to a doctor uh, the doctor is going to use an x-ray to figure out what's going on. And the Enneagram is the x-ray. It mm-hmm. is not the doctor. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love, love that. Love what you said. Guys, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I loved your heart. I loved your courage. I think there's a lot of courage that fuels behind the six that is just not really seen. I say this all the time. I think sixes are the most courageous number because you wake up knowing all the things that could go wrong and you still get out of bed. So thank you for being courageous, joining on the show, sharing your lives. It was so good to have you. Thank you. It was so fun. listening to this conversation with Enneagram Sixes, James Whitmire and Brooke Fox. If you're still here, that means you made it through the annoying ticking noise of my ceiling fan in the background of the track, which likely means you're a true loyalist. Thank you for sticking it out. And I promise to do better next time. I hope listening has given you a greater insight into the mind of the six and a deeper appreciation for the approach sixes take in the workplace. If you're interested in taking a deeper dive into the Enneagram, I would love to be your Enneagram coach. Click the coaching link in the show notes or go to valleypointcoaching.com for more details. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.